This episode of the Beauté Industry Podcast was brought to you by Murad Skincare Australia. Hello and welcome to the Beauté Industry Podcast, your online support community for the professional beauty industry. I am your host, founding director of Beauté Industry, Tamara Reid. Here, we are closing the competitive gap and speaking your language. This is a platform created and dedicated to the professional beauty industry, valuing community over competition. We serve to help connect you with inspiration from industry experts, expand your knowledge through educational pieces, and bring you the latest in product and technology innovation. This is Beauty Industry. Today, my guest is Dr. Howard Murad, the youngest of six children born to Iraqis who immigrated to the United States. Dr. Murad's life has been a testament to the hard work and an almost childlike confidence that perseverance will pay off. Dr. Murad has held jobs as a newspaper delivery boy, a pin setter in a bowling alley, a soda jerk, a golf caddy, a gardener, and even a salesman going door to door in a very poor and dangerous New York City neighborhood, proving that the start of our journeys aren't always where we finish them. Dr. Murad worked to put himself through college, pharmacy school, and medical school, started his own company at the age of 50, and reinvented himself as champion of modern wellness in 2018. Dr. Murad's skincare products were among the first clinically proven to achieve significant measurable anti-aging results without surgery, to which he has been awarded 19 patents for his skincare breakthroughs, including being the first to use an alpha hydroxy acid, the first to treat the underlying connection between skincare, healthcare, and hydration, leading towards the first products to help the cells retain water, He's pioneered holistic health and the visibility it has on the skin, as well as being the first to introduce the medical spa, combining science-backed treatments with inclusive health stress relief. Filled with so much wisdom and timely advice for the world we live in today, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Howard Murad. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. I've been so excited to record this episode with you. I put my environmental shield on every single morning to stop my pigment from the Australian sun. Um, I wanted to ask you, we start our episode with going back to how our guests actually got into the industry and how they found their pathway. So I want to ask you, what made you enter the medical industry? Uh, well, the medical industry, you know, ever since I was a child, I kind of wanted to be a doctor. Um, and it's really an interesting story because it's a story of how people um, dream of things and sometimes they don't capture their potential and it just takes a little something to make it happen. So uh, again, as a child, I kind of wanted to be a doctor. It was prestigious and I went to a doctor, I remember, for acne because I had terrible acne and, um, and he was so nice and helped me and it kind of made me feel like I want to be a, a doctor. Um, but in a way, in my mind, I said, all those people are probably a lot smarter than me. And, you know, maybe they, um, you know, you don't know, I, I'm not think like I would be good enough to be a doctor or something like that. 
You know, you know you, those feelings that some of us have. So um, it, it, on my path, I needed to go to college anyway. My brother, who was a pharmacist, said, you're interested in science anyway. Why don't you go to pharmacy school? And I went to pharmacy school. I did really well. And again, in the back of my mind, I said, I want to go further. I want to do more. And um, I was debating whether I should apply or not. But eventually I said, well, go for it. What do I have to lose? If, I, if they don't accept me, then I won't get in. But if I don't apply, I won't get in either. So I applied to medical school and fortunately got into medical school and uh, did well. And, um, and then here, again, where I ended up being is, in a way, going back to my childhood of, of my acne. I, in, in a way, I wanted to be a surgeon because it was exciting. You know, in medical school, there's a lot to do. And dermatology is kind of boring, just looking at pictures. And, you know, it's not that, in a way, for somebody starting out, not that exciting. Um, and um, what happened is after I finished my medical school and one year of uh, general medicine training, um, I was invited by our government to go to Vietnam and help the soldiers there. And I got my fill of surgery. That was a one year. And then the second year, I was attached to a dermatology clinic. And then I decided, well, this is really where I want to go. And from there, I applied for dermatology training at UCLA, the Veterans Hospital. And I became a dermatologist and opened up my practice. So it's kind of a long story, but I think the journey is important for anybody who kind of thinks, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I won't be able to do it and just go for it. You know, um, the path, first of all, A, you know, even if you fail, it doesn't mean you can't try again. And, and the path to success is by trying. If you don't try, you're never gonna go there. I hope that helps somebody uh, that, we, that is on the podcast and, and hears this message to go for what you really want and go for it, whatever it is, whether it's in your health or taking care of yourself better, uh, position in, in, in business, anything, go for it. I absolutely adore that sentiment. I think so many times we have so many thoughts that really do hold us back, whether it's retailing a product or like yourself going into medical school. And, and sometimes these thoughts aren't even conscious. We don't even know they're there, but they just give us this little sick feeling in the stomach thinking, who am I? What if? How can I? Who's going to value me? So I love that you're saying that because you trusted your gut. You knew that you wanted to do that and you said yes and you got in. So how magical is that? Right. And, and you know what's kind of even more interesting? Because medical school and being a doctor is one thing, but going to the path that I took was not the traditional path. Um, I have a saying and I have many sayings. I have over 600 and based on my philosophy and my energy and what I feel, one of my favorite is allow the unique you to blossom. So many of us don't really, um, don't really know what our huge potential is. We don't really understand. And um, one way I'd like to show people how they could do that is to look at a, get a blank piece of paper and do a doodle on it. So, 
if I do a doodle and you do a doodle, it's not going to look the same because we're just anybody. Nobody's going to do the same. And you may start on the top of the page or in the middle of the page. I might stay on the side, whatever. We're, you take 10 people to give them that direction. They're going to have 10 different doodles and different places. And to me, what that looks at, where you do the doodle is what you think your potential is, but the white space is your true potential. And you can't limit yourself to what you think. Just because, for me, just going to medical school, that wasn't what really, that was an important step, because without that, I wouldn't have gone further. But it was all of these other things that I did afterwards. And I think we all have that potential if we just go for it. If we just say, you know, what do I have to lose? I'll try. See what happens. Definitely, definitely. And and that's the thing. It's it is the unknown and it is scary and sometimes it's that fear. But if you don't know, you would have so much regret about about the unknown, wouldn't you? Absolutely. And you know, it's times like this with COVID nineteen, and I know the industry is really having challenges because clients aren't coming in to see us as much as we'd like and um, people are afraid and worried about this and and there's such a transition going in all of our lives with how we work anymore you know we don't work the way we used to work uh, like in the past uh, we're doing more and more like we're doing now on zoom and we're not connecting physically you know and the healing power of touch is being limited and that's where people in this industry that's how you know, we, we really truly help people by doing what we do. But I think a good part of it is that healing power of touch. When people come to see us, we may give them a nice hug. Hey, how are you, Mrs. So-and-so? What's going on? Those are the things that we do and that we have the permission to do that very few people have to do. And we don't realize, you know, um, I, I ask estheticians or beauty therapists, I say, do you treat blood pressure? And they say, no, I don't treat blood pressure. I say, well, when Mrs. So-and-so comes to see you and she's been late for the appointment and she's got all these other problems on her, her blood pressure is X. She lies on your place and you do her the facial or the massage, whatever you're doing. And uh, when she finishes her blood pressure higher or lower, and they say, well, yeah, I guess she's lower. Well, you did treat blood pressure. There are no better ways to treat blood pressure than being drugs. Uh, and that healing power of touch is what we have, what we have to offer that very few people have. And I think it's so important to understand that we are healers. We're not just people doing facials and massages. Yes, you're so right there. I don't know about um, in the US, but in Australia, when COVID hit, our business owners were so savvy and they have pivoted and they've taken their business into retail online and they were creating little uh, DIY at home facial packs for their clients. And I got a few messages from our community saying, Tamara, I'm so scared that if I put my products online or if I give them these DIY facial packs that they won't come back to me. And I said, nothing replaces touch absolutely no, nothing our hands are magic there's nothing that can replace that absolutely not and then just the, the the feeling of going to somebody that cares for you you know so many people are lonely so many people you know they believe you are their best friend you don't realize but you know hundreds of people who are your clients think you're their best friend 
That's very true. So you've come from medical into pharmacy, into dermatology. I'm interested to know where the passion for skincare and ingredients developed along that timeline. Well, as a dermatologist, uh, when I was starting dermatology, and uh, that's another thing I want to tell you, no matter how old you are, it's never too late. So anyway, when I was um, um, starting my practice in dermatology, um, you know, I remembered all of my feelings about acne. And um, at the time that I started, it was all about, um, you know, like if you thought of products, it was cleanse, tone, moisturizer. There wasn't a real treatment. Uh, and there were facials, but they were just massages and, and moisturizing, things like that. They weren't treating uh, problems like pigmentation and acne and wrinkles and things like that. Um, and there really weren't products that were that good for it. And being a pharmacist and a dermatologist and understanding skincare, I began to write compounded prescriptions for my patients. So I'd write a prescription for something compounded with this ingredient, that ingredient, and this percentage and that percentage. And they'd take it to the pharmacist and it would be filled and they would apply it. Um, so that was what I was doing almost from the day one when I started practicing my uh, in, in the dermatology practice. Um, and people appreciated that. So my practice actually flourished just because they knew I cared for them and I had something that maybe other people didn't have. And so from that, um, I got involved with um, alpha hydroxy acids. A friend of me was telling me about it and I said, oh, nobody's using it. And it was something unusual, but I said, let me see what, what happens. At some point I had treated over 10,000 different patients with different alpha hydroxy acids, mostly glycolic, and modified the formulas and treated, added some ingredients and things like that. And I really loved the product. I thought this is great. And again, looking at that picture that I drew where the doodle was in somewhere in the middle, but all of this other thing was not, not part of it. And I said, you know, what do I have to lose? I want to um, start in my own practice, it started in my own practice, I asked an esthetician and an electrologist, that was before lasers, to come and work with me. And then I decided to open up my own, my um, spa, a day spa, um, which was 20 miles away from my practice, but it was still a, a day spa. People came in, they got massage, they got facials, manicure. And then I decided, to have a product line. And I decided to make these products available, not only in my medical practice, but to the general public as well. Uh, and through estheticians and beauty therapists and professional treatments only in the very beginning. I mean, just that discovery alone about really pioneering the AHA use, and now we're seeing it everywhere and it's such a predominant ingredient, but when you started treating those 10,000 skins, what stood out to you about this ingredient? Well, it was a very interesting ingredient because I could add things to it that even enhanced the benefit of it. Uh, but it itself seemed to work basically on its own. 
Uh, one thing I'd like to talk about is, um, you know, people always ask percentage because they think the higher the percentage, the better. Now, when you go to a pharmacy, there's the word Rx. You've kind of seen that. Rx stands for recipe because in the old days, like right now, when you go to a pharmacy, they're mostly pills and liquids. And all they do is they give you so many of these pills and so much of these liquids, but also Pharmacists are trained to compound, to put 1% of this and 2% of that and make a compounded prescription for something. So the idea of developing a compound, sometimes uh, when you look at a recipe, let's look at something you like to eat. What's your favorite meal, for example? If somebody said, I'll make you whatever your favorite, what would it be? Oh, I, I'm a bit of a plain Jane. Um, I love a good Greek yogurt with some muesli and um, either a fresh passion fruit or a fresh orange. Okay. So um, do, you, um, do you want, uh, how is the orange prepared and um, do you process them in any way or are you just fresh? Right out of the yeah, just cut open into segments and then um, just peel the skin away and then just pop that in the yogurt. Okay, and um, what percentage of yogurt? What percentage of food? Oh, um, well, I put three table t- three tablespoons of Greek yogurt and then mm-hmm. whole orange and then about two <laughs> small handfuls of muesli. Okay. So what if somebody said, you know what, muesli is very good for you. Let's put a pound of muesli and one sliver of orange and one teaspoon of yogurt. Yeah. Would that be good? It's not very tasty, is it? That's dry. (laughs) So my point here is it's not specifically the ingredients. It's the amount and how the recipes come together. So... And, and it's the same for products. You know, people say I have this percentage of glycolic and that percentage. It's not really just the percentage. It's mm. the whole formula. The whole recipe is so important. So whatever you do, it's, it's, it's about everything. It's about, you know, when you see a person, it's not just the way their hair is combed. It's not the makeup they put on. It's not, but it's not the smile that they have on their face. It's that whole picture. And all together makes the whole picture. And they all kind of come together and make the best picture. So the same with with products. So that's one thing a lot of people are always talking about. What percentage of this? What percentage of that? Really, what you want is the end result. Are you going to get a good result? And the important thing about the good result is a good result. And one of the things we learn in medical school is above all, do no harm. So we don't want to do something that's going to irritate you so much that you're going to have a problem with your skin. We want to make your skin look better without harming. Incredible. And that's, that's sort of my philosophy and how I look at things. And, and uh, I trust myself that the products really work. After the break, Dr. Murad and I explore how the skin interacts with the rest of the body's organs, what it means to have cellular hydration, stress, and overall wellness. But first, a little more about how Murad Skincare is impacting businesses like yours and how you can get your hands on some of their products to try. Community, if you are looking to gain total skin wellness for your clients, then look no further. 
Murad's science-backed professional skincare treatments and solutions promote healthy, nourished and beautiful skin. Murad's founder, Dr. Howard Murad, is recognized around the world as a leading visionary for his unmatched scientific innovations. A board-certified dermatologist, trained pharmacist and associate clinical professor of medicine, Dr. Murad has personally treated over 50,000 patients, so it's safe to say that he knows skin. For more than 30 years, Murad has been committed to developing clinically proven, cruelty-free products that meet the meticulous standards for safety, efficacy and care you would expect from a doctor. Plus, they're supported by Dr. Murad's industry-first research for the most advanced formulas that don't just consider a symptom or a concern, but rather address total skin health. The team at Murad want to help you achieve yours and your clients' skincare goals, and they're so kindly offering a free product pack to start you on your journey. That is right, you heard it here. It is free. All you have to do is email kbacon, that's K-B-A-C-O-N, at murad.com and mention the Beauty Industry Podcast to have your Murad skincare pack sent out to you. As a longtime lover of Murad myself, trust me, your clients and your skin will thank you. Thank you so much to the team at Murad for making this episode of the Beauty Industry Podcast possible. And now back to Dr. Murad. Yeah, well, I appreciate that so much because I do think, and I wonder where it's come from, but estheticians and therapists constantly say, you know, the higher, the better, the, the deeper the needle in skin needling, the better, the higher mm-hmm. the percentage. And um, for me, we don't align with any specific one brand. I talk to lots of different brands in the industry and people say to me, but Tamara, this brand has this amount of lactic acid, for example, and this brand doesn't. So clearly you should be talking to the brand that does have more. And I say, look, it's the recipe, it's the antioxidants, it is the AHAs, it's it's the surfactants, it's the emollients. It's not just this product has more, therefore it's better, but it's look at the result that you get and look at the client's outcome. If the client gets a result, relaxation or physical change in the skin, then that's a good product. Right. It's the result that you're asking for. <clears throat> if somebody says this has 10 million units of something and the results don't work, but it would work better if you added X and Y and Z and only use two units of X, that thing, it's, it's, the result is the most important thing, not the percentage. Yes. Uh, and if you can get the results are, are important. And, and you know, um, one of the things, one of my philosophies, I don't know if you, this is a question you're going to be asking, but one of my philosophies is that skincare is healthcare. And, you know, people say, no, skincare is just skincare. What's that got to do with my heart or my liver or my kidneys? It's, you know, what is that? Well, let's look at what your skin does in the first place. If you've ever gone out, I know you would never do this, but if you ever did, went out and got a bad sunburn, your skin got red and irritated, but you probably also felt lethargic, tired, weak. That's because the barrier function of your skin was not good enough to vent against the damage from the sun and all the pollution and things like that into your bloodstream and damaged everything else. So it went into your liver, your heart, your brain and everything. So the importance of the barrier function, make sure you have really appropriate skin care is very important. And for me, it's important to have 
antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, agents that help the skin be healthy as much as possible and be more hydrated. The reverse is also true. So if your heart is not working very well, you'll be very pallid. You won't have good circulation. So that combination works together. And when your skin is glowing and you're smiling and you're happy, psychologically, you're doing well. Your chances are you're sleeping well and taking care of yourself emotionally. Uh, chances are you're eating well. Chances are you're exercising, uh, reducing your stress. All of those work together. Again, it's that recipe that makes your appearance all that together and it shows on your skin so the result shows on the skin but it was the result of sleeping better exercising eating better and everything else yes and i think this is where that conversation between the client and the practitioner comes into play so largely and i know in our clinics we can get so busy between the amount of clients that come in and we've got to hit targets and we've got to rebook our clients but we've always just got to take it back one step and think who is my client and how does she have her concern let's not look at all of the products that she's got in her cupboard that she hasn't used for five years or the fact that she hasn't had a facial in 10 you know actually going into their lifestyle factors so the water they're drinking as you mentioned the sleep the stress levels and I think that's something that a lot of therapists they know how to do they know they should do it but sometimes it it becomes an absent mind for them because they're so busy and you know what If, if you're looking for more clients the best way to do more clients is make happy clients and if they're walking out and they feel good about themselves, they feel that their skin looks nicer, um, they feel that you really care about them, what else, do you, what else would they need to come back? Absolutely. Now, you mentioned there the sunburn, and I wanted to touch base on your cellular hydration because obviously sunburn depletes that hydration, but this hydration is something that you have been speaking about for many years, and I'm so glad that the industry is finally catching up to you, pioneering this internal skincare concept. I mean, we all know how important water is, but can you just explain why you place such a high importance on that in the skin? Okay, this is very simple, but it's complicated. So if I asked you or anybody, is your skin drier today than it was 10 years ago? What would the answer be? Yes. Okay, so you think it's just you and those people you asked, or is it a fact of life? I think it's a fact. Absolutely. It's a fact of life that as we get older, as we have disease, um, as things happen to us, we become drier. And I've measured thousands of people, and I can tell you with every decade of life, we have less water in our cells, uh, and it shows, because then we get more wrinkles and uh, pigmentation and things like that that we don't like. So if that's true, how do I get you more hydrated? Now, number one is appropriate skincare, and making sure the products you use are really full of ways of hydration I don't like to um, specifically speak about my brand, but we have a concept called Reprenacel, and it's a way that most products, uh, if you look at the first ingredient, it's water. And with our water, we treat it in a way that encourages uh, the water has, we call osmolites, that attract water from the product. It, it helps the cells be more hydrated, simply put. 
So the idea of that and adding antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, agents that protect from environmental sources of whatever in the formula. So making sure that barrier function is as strong as it possibly can be at any age. And of course, sunscreens, but besides the sunscreens, when you're out in the sun, there's wind, pollution, smog, all kinds of things. Then let's talk about the water. Now, everybody knows we're supposed to drink eight glasses of water a day. So if you did drink eight glasses of water a day, you probably have eight trips to the bathroom or more. Uh, <laughs> and so the water is going in and coming right out. But I tell people, eat your water. Eating your water. What's your favorite fruit or vegetable? Oh, I, I love a mango being in Queensland. Oh, I love mangoes too. I don't know the percentage of water in the mango, but... I'm sure it's at least 80%. So if you had an ounce of a mango, you had an ounce of water. But in the mango, you got antioxidants, phytonutrients, major body alkaline, resistance to cancer and bone loss. So I tell people to eat your water. Basically, if you look at foods that are healthy for you, they tend to be full of water. You know, even things that aren't full of water, when you eat them, they become like beans. When you eat the beans, they absorb 60, 70% of the water. So the, the healthy foods and non-processed foods uh, have a lot of water. So eat your water, put on your sunscreens and moisturizer. Exercise, people say, well, when I do my exercise, I sweat, I'm dry, I'm thirsty, I need to drink water. I said, yes, you are, but you're building muscle. And muscle is 70% water, fat is only 10% water. So we know the more muscle we have, the healthier we are, and exercise. And then finally, reducing stress. So it's easier said than done. But over the years, I, I began to study a kind of stress that I call cultural stress, the stress of modern living. And um, that oversees any other kind of stress you have. So let's say the other kind of stress is a broken arm, a death in the family. You break your arm, you go to the doctor, you get it fixed. A death in the family, you grieve, you go to the funeral. Eventually, you get over. But cultural stress is the stress of modern living. So what is that? And how is that happening to us? And especially now with COVID-19. Number one, imagine what's happening to you on a daily basis. I think many of us are not going out to get things. We get things delivered. Probably everybody gets at least one thing or more delivered uh, on a daily basis. So... Imagine sitting at home, getting your food delivered, so you don't have to go out, you just sit home. And then you used to go to the theater, go to movies, but you know, it's hard to go, you, just, you can't go with other people, you have to wear a mask. And so again, you're on those things like Hulu, uh, Netflix, things like that, you're watching, not, it's not bad, but you're home doing it, and you're probably binge watching. Uh, last night, my wife and I were, got on one of the shows and we, were, we watched for four hours, one after the other. Oh, you know? my goodness. <laughs> when you keep on going. Um, and uh, then, um, so then social media, instead of physically being with people, you're online with people. And questions you ask and they come. So all of it is encouraging you to have a sedentary lifestyle. You're just sitting more, you're not doing exercise. Sedentary lifestyle is associated with cancer, disease of aging, 
all kinds of things. And it encourages you to be more lonely because you're more likely to be alone. You have depression. So it's a way of having stress. It's superimposed on the broken arm and the death in the family, but it's constant, pervasive, and ever increasing. So I coined that term way back in 2003. And the way I created it is I was looking at my patients and they were coming to me. It seemed like they, their skin was aging faster than I imagined they were before. And when I would ask them what's going on, they'd say, well, my work is harder than it used to be. There's more expected of me at home. I don't feel I have time. I don't really have time to talk to my friends and my family and I, I all of those things that were that have really become much worse was COVID-19 were always there way back then. It was just beginning. So knowing that, I, I did a lot of studies and many different ways of encouraging. Uh, the simplest thing that I found that helped with my patients, I created, and this is something I can make available to anybody, 11 sayings like, why have a bad day when you can have a good day? Um, forgive yourself, things like that. There's 11 cards to look at twice a day and journal. So when you journal, you're writing things that come into your mind. As you're getting positive information into your brain, then the journaling becomes more positive. And uh, clinically, we pro proved that uh, we could reduce stress level just by doing a simple thing. And, um, I know there's a way for you to get access to these 11 cards and even names. I have a, my own personal um, place. It's called drhowardyourad.com. Incredible. Um, Love those. And, uh, so that's one way that I was able to help my patients uh, reduce stress. I mean, I can tell you do exercise, I can tell you do this, I can tell you eat more vegetables, but you won't do it until you decide to. And when you get these positive affirmations pounded into your brain, you're gonna have more gratitude and more strength from within to do what you know you should be doing. Yeah, well, I always find it interesting, the, the factor of stress, and it's particularly what you're saying there about cultural stress, because we see the blue zones around the world, and we see those people who are living up to 110, 120 years old, and they are moving every day. They are out there, you know, in the rice fields, picking tea leaves and bits and pieces, and it's not heavy, strenuous work. They're not going to the gym every single day and pumping iron, but they're just moving slowly, and they live such a slow life in terms of the stress. They don't have the mental load. They're not worrying about the microwave heating up the chicken and feeding the kids and washing the you know a dog and all of this kind of stuff because they're just living such such a slower lifestyle without all of this kind of western mental pressures that we're putting on ourselves yeah and, and the other is the rest they don't have the social isolation mm. as they get older as we get older we were put into nursing homes and thrown away sort of i hate to say that i'm that age but <laughs> but the truth is they are appreciated, you know, the family is together and, and the socialization is that of the family and they're eating together, they're eating healthy, they're exercising. They don't call it exercise. They don't call it, you know, healthy eating, but that's what they do. And they don't eat too much. They're not, we don't see the obesity in those blue zones that we see, you know, 
that we're seeing more and more of. What gave you the foresight? I mean, you said there before that you have been looking at this since 2003 and it's now 2020. How did you know that this was going to be something that clients would be talking about, that the world would be talking about in this day and age? I wrote about it in 2003, so I'm kind of seeing it before. I think, you know, again, going back to that open page, <laughs> what you have, and it was basically, I, I actually feel like I got to know my patients as if they were family, and I was understanding them differently. And, and I, uh, even when I was developing my products, it wasn't because the marketing people said to do this or that. It was like looking at my patients and talking to them and seeing what was actually bothering them and trying to address that. So it was trying to understand what was going on in people's lives. Um, and, and, uh, and I guess even in my life, I mean, I, you know, sometimes just understanding yourself, what's going on, why are you more stressed than you were before? And uh, I don't know that I was necessarily more stressed, but uh, certainly, uh, I noticed a difference in the patients and I, and I began to ask them, I said, why? And they really didn't know, but then they had to come up with an answer. And the answer for them was the traffic was more than it used to be. Um, hard work is harder, more is expected of me. Um, I don't have time to be with family. Um, you know, I'm not eating as well as I, all of those things that, that we know are happening. And, you know, when you ask yourself some of those questions, you say, you realize, hey, you know, maybe it is that. Maybe that's something I have to think about. Um, I don't know. That's the only answer I can give you. Yeah. And that's a brilliant quality of a therapist and someone who is treating clients. It's to listen, not for the purpose of responding, but listening to actually hear what they're saying. So if they're running in and saying, oh, I'm so late and I had to pick the kids up and da, 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 it's reading between the lines that, okay, something's bigger is going on here. And when she's uh -huh. talking about her dermal pigmentation, well, then perhaps we need to connect these dots. Right. And, you know, just listening to them, makes a big difference. I learned that lesson very early on because, you know, I would try to tell them what, well, what about, why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? And that wasn't what they really wanted. They knew what they should do. That wasn't it. They just needed somebody to hear them. And, and so many times we try to help people by trying to give them advice, but many times they just want to be heard. And we aren't heard. Uh, I have a, a funny story about my mother-in-law who's passed away, but she had a very good friend and um, they were, every day they would be together. And so one day she had a headache, she wasn't feeling well. So her friend was saying, oh, how do you feel, Martel? Well, I have a headache, I don't feel so good. And the friend, oh, that's good, how are you? <laughs> so she wasn't even hearing her. Mm. She expected her to say, I'm fine. And she wasn't listening, you know, and we need to, to listen. We Absolutely. Need to pay attention. And if that's all some people want. They just want, they want to feel important. They want to feel I'm important enough that you are willing to pay attention to me. And we don't get that very much. We don't get mm. it at home sometimes. We don't get it at work. And we would hope to at least get it at the therapist. 
That's very true. Now I'd love to touch base on, um, in 2008, you had a retina industry injury, um, which actually led you down more of a creative path. And I don't think many doctors, dermatologists, pharmacists, skincare formulators would go into art because they're such different industries. Um, how did you find that creative pathway? Was that already in you or did you have to learn to go down there? Well, what happened is um, a year before uh, my injury to my eye, um, I had taken a lesson with my wife and uh, I, she, she pulled me to go take the art class uh, and I didn't really want to go, but I said, okay, fine, I'll go. And the teacher um, um, wasn't like a typical art class. Usually they teach you how to draw a cat or whatever everyone else is drawing. She just gave us paper and paint and said, go for it, do what you want. And so I just scribbled. I didn't really know what I was doing. And the teacher at the end, she said, you know, don't take any more lessons because you have a unique talent, which I had no idea, because to me, art was, I knew nothing. I, I still can't draw a circle or a square. Or, <laughs> if you want me to draw a cat, I can't do that, or a dog. <clears throat> and she said, um, um, go for it. And, and at the end of the hour, she said, um, I'd like you to go buy this equipment, buy, buy some of the paints and things like that, and take it home and do it. And I was kind of motivated, but, I did go out and buy all the, the stuff that she recommended, but I, when I got home, things were, life was busy and I didn't do anything. Then about a year later, I had a retinal detachment and it was really bad. Uh, they had to do what's called a vitrectomy. So it was more than just a laser treatment. It was a lot more than that. And I had to put my chin on my chest for a month. Uh, and I, had, I couldn't do anything else. I grew a beard, I couldn't eat well, you know, it was not easy. But my wife said, why don't you at least start drawing? Because you had the paint and everything here and the paper. And I started that and that became my passion. And I would have never dreamed that I would do any art. And I have over 600 art pieces and um, I have books that I, of, of art that I've done and things like that. I would have never dreamed of that if that hadn't happened to me, if I hadn't taken the chance Again, going back to even applying to medical school, if I hadn't at least tried it, would have never happened. So I look at life as a journey, and the journey should never end by just saying, I can't do it. Uh, maybe you can't do X, but there may be something Y or, or T or U or something that, that you can do. Uh, and you never know what that is. And I never knew art would be something I'd be interested in. I never knew when I was uh, in, in pharmacy school that I would have a business because if anything, I was, I was going to be a doctor, be a traditional doctor and have a practice. Uh, so I'd like people, if I leave you with just any message, uh, don't limit yourself. Allow the unique you to blossom. You have unique talents that nobody else has. I don't know what they are. You don't know what they are. I didn't know what mine were. Uh, but you do have and if you just try to do what everybody else does uh you're not going to succeed because you have unique abilities and unique talents that's everybody that i'm speaking to here 
Incredible. Um, one final question for you. We have taken this COVID-19 and it's really forced us to slow down, um, which has been incredible and a big silver lining in, in so many ways that we can get back to focusing on ourselves. And we've been using the time to reflect on what's important and, and perhaps what we shouldn't press play on when we come back into the, the normal world or the new normal. Um, what do you do for wellness? Obviously your art is a big piece of joy for you, but internal, external, what do you love to eat or do you love to read or write? How does that wellness look for you? Um, this is something um, that I, you know, I, at first it was kind of, I didn't do much. You know, it was kind of, I was so accustomed to going to work and getting there early on and, and all of the things, and then things began to be slower. Um, <clears throat> and I really became lazy, honestly. I didn't do very much at all. But um, one of the things that I kind of, in the back of my mind, wanted to be a little bit healthier, I, I was pretty healthy. Uh, so I would like to lose a few pounds. And um, I, I um, actually um, had gone to get a physical just before. And um, everything was good, except they did something called A1C. It's a blood test. And I was pre-diabetic, in other words. And I was noticing I was eating more sugars and things like that. And I decided I'm not going to let that be. And um, I ended up losing about 10 pounds in, from March until now. Um, had, I just had my blood test and I'm no longer pre-diabetic. I'm no longer anything diabetic. Fantastic. Um, and so that was something, in a way, it gave me something to actually do, which I probably wouldn't have taken care of it that well. And um, again, I... I in the beginning, I was just really lazy, not doing much, um, binge watching. And I still binge watch a little bit, I admit. <laughs> um, but I started doing art, so I've, I've done several pieces the last month or two. Um, and um, I, I have a trainer, so we, he does FaceTime with me. So uh, four days a week, he does that. Um, and I have a stationary bike in, at my home, and I do that for at least 20 minutes every day so it's a combination of things and so in the beginning it was like very difficult it was very lazy I didn't do much and eventually it gradually it's turned and become better over time Amazing. I think we all had that period of um, almost wallowing, wasn't it? We went through this, it was almost like a grieving phase. Oh my goodness, we can't leave the house. Our businesses are closed. Uh, you know, we felt a little bit sorry for ourselves. We needed to rest and recuperate and, and binge watch Netflix and eat a bit of ice cream. And then we kind of got our second wind and we thought, do you know what? Actually, no more of this. I'm going to Skype my personal trainer and I'm going to get up and, and be healthy again. I think in that resurgence uh, was where people thought maybe I should be taking a little bit better care of myself. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, I have a, a saying um, and it has to do with baseball. Um, I, don't know, I don't know you don't play that much baseball in Australia, but um, 
the word is, you know, the pitcher throws you a ball and some of the balls that, and then a bat trying to hit the ball. And some of the balls are curved balls. They come in looking that they're straight, they curve the other way. So I say, life always throws you curved balls. You have to learn to hit it out of the park. So those are balls that are hard to hit because they're, they look like they're coming right at your bat and you could really hit it, but then it goes somewhere else. Right. And most people strike out, but you have to learn to hit it. And that's what, what we did and you did, but we're talking about. We got that curveball, the COVID-19, and it was a real curveball. It exaggerated what I call cultural stress. It had a devastating effect on a lot of us, you know, financially and so many other ways. But in the end, we're learning how to deal with it. Yes, I love and that. Made it stronger. Definitely. Brilliant note to finish on there. I think everybody can can judge what's coming at them. Is it is it a normal ball or is it a curveball? Is it a shark or is it a piece of seaweed? And then we can make our assumptions from there. Absolutely. And make the best of it. That's Whatever exactly it is, right. you're going to make the best of it. Absolutely. Dr. Murad, thank you so much for spending time with me this morning. It's been absolutely brilliant. You've got such a wealth of knowledge behind you, both uh, personally, professionally, full of wisdom. So it's been divine. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. What an incredible wealth of knowledge Dr. Murad is and how special that he could join us on this chat today. What I appreciate in amongst the heavy science and dermatology language that one could use to describe ingredients and skin conditions is the simple premise of being well internally and externally. This conversation really highlighted the importance of connecting, talking and listening to our clients for better understanding them as a whole, which ultimately impacts the results you're going to be able to achieve as their skin therapist. For a preview of Dr. Murad's 11 mantra cards or a look at his art pieces, be sure to click through the show notes or take a look over on the Murad socials at Murad Skincare Oz AUS. If you love this episode, please make sure you let us know by taking a photo of how you're listening and tag myself at Tamara Shaw Reed and of course us at Beauty Industry. Until next time, stay connected.